Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 23. You can follow along on page 9. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, we should probably acknowledge, for those of you who stick around here some, and for those of you this this is your first time here, we welcome you. We're so glad that you're with us. Um, but as you know, uh, my life has changed a little bit since the last time I saw you. Um, and so I will say that my heart, with the aid of two new stents that have been placed into arteries, is much healthier than it has been in a long time. And so I'm sorry, you most likely will have to stick with me for a while. Um, it is odd to stand up here and think that I might not have been standing up here in some ways. And so we'll see how it goes today as I engage in this text and look out at your faces and the faces of my family and think about God's goodness and grace to having, as my GP said, a ticking time bomb get diffused before it went out. Um, now, in all honesty, because I am a pastor and a preacher, I can't not take that and turn it into some sort of illustration. So, if you know me, if you have seen me eat, if you have watched my lack of exercise prowess, if you know anything about my family history and my grandfather and uncles and other uncles on the other side of my family, it actually wouldn't come as much of a surprise to you that I might have ended up in a place where I needed to have two stents put into the arteries of my heart. But I think one thing we do like is surprises, except when they cause us to question things. So it was a bit of a surprise to know that I was going to have to do this, even though it shouldn't have been. I like surprises. That's why M. Night Shyamalan is one of my favorite directors. Because every movie that he does, just about, has some surprise ending. 
something that is a twist at the very end. And like I said, for most part, when we get to those places, we're like, wow, that's amazing. That's so cool. Or if you don't like surprises, you're like, that's super frustrating. I can't believe he did that. I think for some of us, when we go into the scriptures and into the Bible, there are times when we're reading it, if we dare trepidatiously go into Old Testament readings, that we sometimes walk away being surprised at how God portrays himself. That There are places in the Old Testament where we go, now how is that a God that is a God of love? How is that a God who is a God of mercy? How is that a God who has exemplified him in Christ. And so what I want to do today in the passage that we have looked at twice already is really sort of build out what it means for us to understand that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that he is the one who shows us completely who God is, that in Christ alone we have the full picture, the complete picture, the whole picture The 100%, not 99.9, but the 100% picture of who Jesus is, of who God is through Jesus. And how that then helps us engage in our reading and applying the Holy Scriptures that we have. Now, there's a couple of things we need to do before we jump into that. We need to set some parameters and understanding of of what we believe about this Bible. The first thing that we need to recognize, if we look at Timothy, the second Timothy uh, letter that was written to Timothy, uh, in chapter 3, verses 16, but we're going to jump a little bit before that. This is Paul giving a final charge to Timothy. And he says, but you, starting in verse 14, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for the salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness." so that as a servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for all and every good work. He noticed there that he says it is God-breathed, that it is useful, that it is inspired by God and brought forth by Him. So what the first thing that we want to say is we believe that all of Scripture, all of the Bible is inspired by God, that He is ultimately the author of this. Book, that he is giving us a clear portrait of who he wants us to know, which is him. But we also need to make sure that we recognize that God does not want robots writing his word. He did not come into the world and say, I'm going to cause you to write in only my voice. In fact, he grabs hold of all the authors, inspires them, moves them so that they write according to their experience and how they are walking in that place and the actual knowledge that they possess at that time. 
So when we're walking into Scripture, we recognize that this great book that we call a book is actually a library of 66 books that God miraculously and preordainedly put together for us to have knowledge of who He is. And in His crafting of that, in His inspiring of it and bringing it about, He is saying and working through individuals who are human and flesh and carry their own ideas about what is actually going on and how it's happening. So as they're telling the story, they're telling it as well as from God's perspective, their perspective can't help but seep into that place. The second thing I think we really need to hold on to is what Jesus says here about himself through Paul and says in other places. That all of Scripture, that every bit of it, points towards him. That he is the ultimate center of the story. We see that in that call from Paul to Timothy, right? He says that the Holy Scriptures gave you everything you needed to know to have faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Scriptures that Timothy had were the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. Those were the Scriptures that Timothy was going to have that led him to faith in Jesus Christ. We know this is what Jesus says in two places. There are two of your extra readings that you have there. In John 5, 37 through 40 and 45 through 47, he's talking and he says this, And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his words dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. Talking about himself there. You studied the scriptures, you studied the Hebrew Bible diligently because you're thinking, because you think that in them you will have eternal life. These are the very scriptures, listen, that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to have, to to me, to have life. And then he goes on to say, but do not think that I accuse you before the Father. No, your accuser is Moses, who wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, on whom your hope sets. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I said? And then later in Luke, he says, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of scripture concerning him. So first we recognize that all of scripture is God breathed. That everything about it is inspired by him. And that he has chosen to work and allow that to come to be working through individuals who carry who they are in him. And then we recognize that all of scripture from beginning to end is centered on Jesus. Jesus calls that out himself. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Jesus is what the father has to say to us. That's in mere Christianity that he speaks that to be. Graham Goldsworth is an author, and he says this. Jesus is the central subject matter of the Hebrew Scripture, as well as its goal and fulfillment. 
So it's about him, it's about where it's going, and it's about how it's completed. We must therefore read Scripture with the firm conviction that all texts in the whole Bible bear a discernible relationship to Christ and are primarily intended as a testimony to Christ. And so he concludes this way. The most important question we must ask while reading any part of the Bible is this. How does this passage of Scripture testify to Christ? Now, why is that important that we walk in that way? Knowing that God has divinely inspired all of Scripture, that it is all pointing towards Jesus. When we go into the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and we begin to encounter things that surprise us of how God is revealing himself in those places. We have to look and know that Jesus recognizes the Old Testament as divinely having authority. However, it is an authority that is under his authority not alongside his authority. So it's not like the Old Testament and Jesus are on equal level. The Old Testament's authority has to line up about what Jesus reveals about God. So, when we go into a passage of Scripture that talks to us about God calling forth to Israel to go in and kill all the Midianite women, and children, and adults. And to us, we think in our minds, in our modern sensibilities, how awful that is. Hear this, in all sensibilities, whether modern or not, that's atrocious. Except when it's being revealed in those who have lived in a culture of the ancient Near Eastern gods. You see, the Old Testament rests in those men who are writing forth this book that is inspired by God. All of their knowledge, all of their understanding is being broken by this merciful, loving, truthful God and changing and transforming and in some ways getting rid of those very things that are antithesis of who he is. Yet they've grown up in a culture that has a wrathful, vengeful, spiteful, God's, lowercase g. So as they begin to encounter what God is doing, as they begin to see what God is doing, it is sometimes difficult for them to escape what they know. And so as they begin to write out the story of God that he is revealing, their own personal understanding of what a God is supposed to be like, can seep in and be in a place that reveals a God who does not look like Jesus. Now, let me make this point very clear. Jesus completely shows us who God is. So, if the vision of God that we're seeing in Scripture does not match up to who Jesus is, then we have to engage it in a couple of different ways. We can, as some have done, said, well, there must have been a different God in the Old Testament. Well, that falls short. (laughs) 
that doesn't actually align with what the Bible says. Because the Bible tells us that all of Scripture is God-breathed, that all of it is by His ordination, that all of it is caused by Him. But what it does do is it allows you to go, yep, that was the Old Testament God, and we've got the New Testament God now. He discovered love somewhere along the way. But perhaps more gracious is that we see a God who is entering into a culture that is steeped with vengeful, spiteful, angry gods and allowing himself to be portrayed in that way for a moment, for a time, so he does not blow their minds with how great his love is for them. So then, throughout the Old Testament, when we begin to see places where God is revealed as Jesus in his steadfast love, in his pursuit of justice, in his holiness, in his protection, is in, in his calling out evil, and yes, bringing justice to those who have done evil. In as far as the people in the Old Testament are able to off, uh, catch that glimpse of the truth, they are seeing Jesus, even though it's cloudy, much like we do at times. Origen put it this way. Now, he's an old, 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 old church father. He taught that when we come upon a biblical passage that seems unworthy of God, that we must humble ourselves before God and ask the Holy Spirit to help us find the deeper meaning in the passage that is worthy of God. He sometimes referred to these things as buried treasures. He says, Origen believed that God intentionally buried treasures beneath the ugly, ugly and unworthy surface meanings of various passages to force us to mature spiritually as we humbly wrestle with Scripture and become more dependent on the Holy Spirit. See, if we can understand that God in His perfect revelation allows Himself to be a missionary, so to speak, and come into the very culture that is there and say, I need you to not have the stumbling block of how great I am. So I'll humble myself and allow you to represent me in a way that is unbecoming to me. In order that eventually, because he knows all, you will see the truth that is Jesus being revealed. So some would call this progressive revelation. Now I have to be careful there because some will hear progressive revelation and their minds will run to an idea of open theology. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying here that God is waking up every morning and discovering something new. That, that he is, as he's walking with the Old Testament, going, you're right. The ancient Near Eastern gods were awfully bad. I shouldn't act like them. What I am saying is he understands the heart of all that he has created and recognizes where they're at. And so he allows himself to walk as he slowly, progressively reveals who he is so that when Jesus shows up, he's able to say, from Moses through the prophets to everything, it reveals me. And 
and we see God's glory. And what do we recognize in Jesus? We recognize a nonviolent and enemy-loving God. We recognize a God who is willing to become flesh and die on a cross. We recognize that a God that will act first in love because he knows his steadfast love will ultimately bring the justice and the mercy and the hope. See, what we see in Jesus is someone who goes to the unrighteous and the righteous, that he is not discriminatory towards those who need him because he knows both the unrighteous and righteous in their own minds need him. But he also recognizes that we are feeble and weak and see things with a glass dimly and need him to reveal himself in ways that allow us to begin to grasp it. And so I encourage you, as you begin to delve maybe back into the Hebrew Scripture, that as you look at those passages that are um, difficult, ugly, remember that in those places God has something for you, revealing His nature, and that nature must, must align with what Jesus reveals about Him. And it could be that in those moments... God is lowering himself in order to be understood. So that those around him, those who are hearing this story for the first time, are willing to come in. Their hearts begin to sing. And they recognize God's steadfast love as he reveals himself, ultimately and finally, in Jesus But it's more than just important for the way that we read Scripture. Because it's impossible for me to exaggerate to you the importance of the believer's mental understanding and representation of God. For the way that you imagine God and think about Him largely determines the quality of relationship you have with God. So if you are one who holds on to the idea that God is a God who can't wait to smite you, that God is a God just like those Old Testament representations who is more than willing and capricious enough to annihilate entire civilizations because of the way they have treated him or his people then how could you ever possibly imagine or trust that in his steadfast love, when you screw up, he won't do the same to you? But if, in fact, Jesus is 100% of who God is, and he is the one who runs to the lost, he is the one who heals the brokenhearted, He is the one who calls forth justice and allows it to reign free. He is the one who brings mercy to those who need mercy. He is the one who opens his steadfast love to all and gathers them in. Then how could you not want to run to that one in all of your brokenness? Because ultimately, this story that we're in, 
this narrative that is being told in this world, this thing that God has started and will finish, He is writing it on each one of our hearts as well. And not just writing it on our hearts, He is inviting us and drawing us into His very story. And that story is always just like the Scriptures about Jesus and how He reveals God to us. And so we can take great joy and relief knowing that God has shown Himself completely. And in doing that, He has shown us who we are in Him. Let me pray for us. God, You are gracious and good and holy and right. You reveal Yourself completely in Jesus and in Him we are called forth to believe. So help us believe. Let us know You as who You are. As the steadfast, loving, self-sacrificing enemy-embracing God who is so much better than any other God we could have. And thank you for making that way through Christ and giving us Holy Spirit to guide us towards you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand up and let's sing in response.